Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 715 for February 19th, 2022. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth number 135. How are you doing today, Bart? Um, I'll just give a diplomatic answer and say fine. Um, <laughs> what is the name of the kind of storm again that you guys oh, have? I sent you the link because I keep forgetting. It's some sort of a stingy tail thing. Basically, the jet stream is doing something weird and it's whipping up all these Atlantic storms and blasting them at Ireland. Third well, here one it is sting, sting jet, weather bomb and jet stream. Yeah. <laughs> they're just making stuff up now, right? They're just making up all these names for weather. Whatever they're calling it, they're bloody annoying. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm getting pretty on... miserable. Like I, I always say, there's no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothes. But all of my right clothes are now wet and they're not drying <laughs> as quickly as I need them to. Like they're not dry yet when I have to get into them again. Anyway, I'm cranky. Um, but this, these, storms have, these storms have been so good. I heard on uh, Daily Tech News Show that they have a, um, uh, somebody's been live streaming the jets trying to land in oh, England at, and like a six hour live stream, but the guy's really funny. It's like play by play color commentary as he's watching these planes skidding sideways. <laughs> Credit to the pilots. Um, yeah. Especially if there's it a is. slight side wind to it. That takes, that takes a bit of skill and you turn the autopilot off for that one. That's uh, that's so. all the pilot. <laughs> Well, all right. You said this one wasn't going to be too heavy lifting wise on programming by stealth. I don't think so. I don't think so because it's a, a lot of, we're laying a lot of good foundation here, I hope. So good. what I want to do is reintroduce the concept of test-driven development and unit testing. And all of that is in the frame of us making friends with a new testing framework called Jest, which is going to replace QUnit, which we learned about. I went and checked. Installment 33. Wow. <laughs> I'm not good at subtraction, but I think that's 102 episodes ago. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, and it's every two weeks. That's that's a long time ago. Four years. Goodness. So while, you know, the theory of test-driven development hasn't changed and the theory of unit testing hasn't changed, JavaScript has. And uh, mm. quite frankly, so have we. We are now, we know a hell of a lot more about a hell of a lot more, and we have one heck of a lot more experience. So we, we are very different programmers than we were back in all that time ago. And the other thing, I'm just going to be honest, like, I, when I did QUnit way back then, it was because I th- planned to use it in real life. I, you know, I, I, I'm a, I hate this whole notion of do what I say, not as I do. So I like to actually <laughs> do the things we talk about in this series. And I tried. I really tried. I gave it an honest to goodness go, and I, I I did use it for a while in work for Unreal production code. And then the moment it came crunch time and the deadlines were tight and something had to fall away, it was the first thing to go because it was a giant big pain. Mm. And once you slip, that's kind of it then, because you're never going to be able to justify going back to write tests. Does the code right. work? Seems to. You want to spend a week <laughs> making it still work? Yeah. No. <laughs> right. So, yeah. are we going to get to the key where the tool has to help you do your job rather than get you in, get in the way of you doing your job? Like yeah. With the with the comments. Exactly, and there is a slight sting in the tail though because I paid the price for giving up on QUnit because for years. I never had a regression bug. I My code, I would quite smugly say, if I fix a bug once, it's fixed. Because my test suite had my back, right? 
As soon as you find a bug, you update your test suite, and then you know that whatever else your code might do wrong, and goodness knows there's an infinity of possibilities, it won't do that wrong again. But without a test suite to have your back, you end up reintroducing old problems. And I find myself doing a lot more troubleshooting post-facto. It's like, deploy code, everything fine for a week. Why is there this weird edge case affecting 0.1% of enrollments? Or point one, you know, one out of a thousand users or whatever. Why is there something oh. odd at the edges? And it's because the test suite, software engineers didn't invent this for the crack. <laughs> they invented this because there actually is a real problem to be solved. So I'm pretty motivated to find something which will give me the advantages of getting back into more formal testing, but not make me as cranky as QUnit did. I, it needs to be less of a chore. So okay. I think... Jest has a chance of doing that. I won't promise because I don't have massive experience with it. You're learning with me. We're on this journey <laughs> together. So Okay. I liked the concept and I liked I actually mm. enjoyed doing it when we did it, but I never did it again once you didn't make us. There you go, right? And I'm pretty sure you're writing away with uh, js.comments because that's just a good thing to do. And I'm sure you have ESLint turned on because it helps you find silly things. Yes, on the second one, I'm... Confess, I still struggle with the comments, but I'll get there. Okay. Well, I guess the ESLint is a good example because it just has your back with these little things, you know? So it's very important that for code that you expect to have a long life, that you build it well, that it's resting on solid foundations. And in terms of what we're about to do with porting HSX, HPAS, WD, Perl to JavaScript... Really, the three pillars I absolutely want to have underneath that code from day one is a good linter, which is why I was so keen to have Helma come on and expertly teach us ESLint. And that's that's that was wonderful. And I definitely knew we needed good documentation of our API, which is why I, you know, was so keen to sell JSDoc to you, um, which I'm slowly succeeding at. But the last piece of the puzzle is a new testing suite, and I just want it to be one that makes me less cranky than QUnit. So... I spent a lot of time procrastinating over this because the thing is, you you can't really change your mind after you've written a few thousand lines of code. Because are you going to go back and rewrite all those tests? No, yeah. you're not. Yeah. You know, I guess you might ask the community to, but really, are you going to take community goodwill and make them do something as monotonous <laughs> and tedious as rewriting your tests? Right, right. Pretty good way to squander any community involvement you've managed to get. So I dithered quite a bit on this one. Uh, I I think it's probably been six months that I've been on the fence, but I have made a decision. I am now going to take my colours and nail them to the mast. Jest is the winner. We are going to learn Jest. So before we do that, though, it's been a while since we talked about unit testing and all that jazz. So all of this is built around a software engineering methodology, I'm going to call it, um, called test-driven development. And a very close relation of that called unit testing. So test-driven development is a way to incorporate develop or testing into your development process. And unit testing is a way of organizing your tests. And I think they're just best friends with each other. I, I sort of don't see how I do one without the other. So the whole philosophy of TDD, test-driven development, is that the tests and the code are built together. It's not an afterthought. It's not a bolt-on. I like to imagine it in my head, like when you're building a skyscraper, the scaffolding is about one floor above the building. And Mm. as the building rises, the scaffolding goes first, and then the building follows it. 
And so your test suite is like slightly ahead and the two of you race up. And the reason it's slightly ahead is because if you're going to do it by the book, you write your tests before you write the thing they're testing and you verify that all of your tests fail. Because if your tests pass when you haven't implemented the code yet, your test is wrong. <laughs> and, and you can be sure your that, test is that, wrong. that the test is wrong if you don't have code under it. Exactly. So you write ah. the test first and you watch it fail. And then you write the code until it stops failing. And then you move on oh, to the next interesting. thing. Interesting. So I mean, your, your test could still be wrong. But oh, absolutely. You know, it's, you know it's not wrong in the other way. Correct. And that is, you've hit on a very important point here. So the reason we have testing is because we know humans make mistakes. It's not, right. will a human make a mistake? No, no, they will. The question is how often and what are you going to do about it? So your test suite will also have bugs. But the thing is, your test suite is kind of like a ratchet because everything you fix in the test suite, it's with you for the entire rest of the project. And everything mm -hmm. the test suite does right, it keeps doing right. And all you're doing is adding more tests to catch more edge cases, to find more things you didn't think of. So the test suite becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's a floor underneath you at all times. So it now oh, sets the okay. baseline of how bad your code is. Because right, it won't right. pass the test if you get it any worse than you are now. And so okay. as you rat you're ratcheting up your code as you go with it. So yes, it's imperfect. And don't stress over that. Everything it catches is one less bug. And whatever it doesn't catch, well, you might get the next time when you make your test suite a bit better. Okay. And, and by, by doing it uh, before you write the code and having it fail, you're basically ensuring only false negatives. Yes. You will never be deluded into thinking it works when it doesn't. <laughs> Precisely. You might that be is frustrated exactly thinking, God, I swear this thing is right, but... It isn't. Yeah, exactly. So... I, the whole philosophy is designed around, we know you're going to do silly things, so let's help catch as many of them as we can as we go. And then the other concept then is unit testing. And what unit testing says is that the structure of your tests should mirror the structure of your code. So if you write a function, there should be a collection of tests for that function. If you write a class, there should be a collection of tests for that class. If you write a module, there should be a collection of tests for that module. And yes, modules contain classes, contain functions. Your test suite for your modules will contain a subset for your class, will contain subsets for your functions, right? You, your groupings of tests can be nested. Are those so, the units? Exactly, exactly. Okay. So a unit is basically a logical chunk of code. So a function, in JavaScript world, that really means a function, a class, and a package, or sorry, a module, now that we know about modules. And so, yeah, they're your units. And so you should be able to take a function and test it. You should be able to take a class and test it. And you should be able to take a module and test it. Okay. And so that's why it's called unit testing. And so you, TDD says you build your unit tests along with your code. And you just move forward together. And at all points in time, you basically run your test, watch them fail, write your code, watch it pass, move on to the next thing. Larder, rinse, okay. repeat. It is a very, very iterative cycle. And when you're debugging something and you find that your code doesn't do something it should, well, step one, write the new test to catch the problem. Step two, fix the problem and watch the test go green. Where do you put the doc comments in this, in this hierarchy? So I would start by writing my doc comments 
so that you know what you're gonna do. Then I would capture that as test. So my doc comment says this function should take this input and should take that output. It should throw this error if this happens. Okay, fine. Capture that in test. Now write the code. Okay. Okay. And in reality, there's going to be a little bit of interplay. So you're going to write your first guess at the doc comment. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to start writing the test and you're going to go, actually, no, that's a silly idea. It should also throw an error here. Okay, fine. Update your doc comment. And the two of them will sort of ping pong off each other. And when you write your code, you'll probably think of another edge case and you'll ping pong off the other two. But it is definitely, what do I want? Capture that as a test. Make it so. Knowing that in reality, there's going to be a bit of back and forth. Okay. All right. So I do, right, I don't think you should be too religious about this stuff. To me, TDD and unit testing are philosophies. They're a way of thinking about things, but I'm not going to stress about whether, is this test, strictly speaking, belonging to the function or the class? or the. I, no, I'm not going to stress about it. I'm just, I'm just going to use it to help me structure stuff in a sensible way. I'm not going to treat it as a religion. And I wouldn't advise anyone else does. This is not a software engineering exam. This is some fun. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, and there are no hard and fast rules, but I do I do want to give some general advice um, on writing tests. And the first thing is, a bit like writing good code, writing good tests is an art. It's not a science. You can't just sort of say, here is my algorithm, I shall plug in my requirements and out shall come code. No, it involves being creative. And the same is really true about your tests. Now you can get, you you will get better with practice because you'll start to see that I thought I wrote a really good test suite and it missed five million obvious errors. Oopsie daisy. <laughs> Next time I will think about that. But there are some things you can generally think about. So in terms of a module, what I will be thinking is a module's job is to publish something, right? You export a thing from a module. That is its raison d'etre. So your test should check that the thing the module spits out does what the documentation promises it should. If the module is so supposed... Not, ju- not just that you got it. That it does what it says it on the also does tin. the thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So if your module publishes a function that's supposed to join an array of strings into a nice human-friendly string, well, okay, first test is, does it publish a function? Okay, good, it does. I throw an array at it, do I get back the expected string? Okay, good. I throw a Boolean at it, does it throw an error? Okay, good. Right? And so you're building up your tests. In terms of testing a class, I think it's very important to focus on the constructor. Because if someone's using your class, the constructor is kind of the first entry point. So I definitely start my focus there. What happens, does the constructor do the right thing when I give it no arguments, right? I said it would default to doing something. Well, does it? Does it, you know, are the default values correct? Then I start to throw arguments at the constructor to make sure it behaves appropriately. If I give it one argument, it should be the name. If I give it two arguments, it should be the name and something else, right? Does it actually Mm -hmm. do that? And then the getters and setters are obvious places to go, right? The getters are easy. They're supposed to return a string, a number, whatever. Well, do they, right? And then the setters are a little bit more work because you're now dealing with both. Well, I said set your radius to four. After I run that call, is the radius really four? And if I tell you to set the radius to pancakes, do you throw an error? Two very different (laughs) situations. 
Two different, yeah, but every every get every setter has those two things it has to do, right? If I te- if I tell you something sensible, do you do it? And if I tell you nonsense, do you tell me that I've told you nonsense? Okay, okay. So they're the two things you need to check with with a getter. The setter is easy, or sorry, with with the setter, the getter is easier because it only has one job in life. Uh, and then for functions, you actually have the most work, right? Because a function has quite a few moving parts, right? It's a stuff goes in. So you need to validate all of your data because if you say this function accepts one string, okay, well, what happens if I throw it a number? Is it supposed to coerce the number to a string or is it supposed to throw an error? What happens if I give it an array? Is it supposed to just say, I'll take the first element of the array or is it supposed to throw an error? If I say it takes two, three or four arguments and does different things with each one, well, I've got to check all those validations now. So a lot of things to check there. The function's job is to return something most likely. So if I give it four and two, it's supposed to give me back six. Well, does it? If I give it, you know, does it actually return what it promises to return? And then there's the fact that a lot of functions will say, I will throw an exception if, or an, and you know, I'll throw an error if something happens. Well, do they? If you try to divide six by zero, does your division function throw an error? It should. Even though six and zero are valid numbers, it should still throw an error because that's you know, that's a situation that you can't handle. There is no division of those two numbers. So, Unless I write my code to say the answer is to infinity and beyond. Which is perfectly valid. If, if your documentation says that in the case of a divide by zero error, you will not throw an error. You will, in fact, return the string to infinity and beyond with, a, with some sort of emoji. Well, then test, right? Does it do that when I right, do that, right. right? So whatever you say the code does, does it. And then... Finally, I would say every bug you find is an opportunity. So like I said before, use that opportunity to improve your test suite to make it go red because there is a bug. So your test suite really should be red. Make it red, then fix the bug and watch it go green. Okay. Do they actually use colors? Jess does. Oh, sweet. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. And tick boxes and make you happy smiley. Also nasty red X's, but eh, look, you're supposed to get those first. So we okay, but uh, hopefully you, uh, there's more than just color. In oh, no, there's a lot more than just color. It, like, okay, literally good. pointy arrows at the exact test that failed. Okay, but I mean, for the colorblind, you want to make sure you've got... Both. Oh, no, it, it's emoji of a tick and an X. Okay, cool. And pass and fail in English as well. So you've got three things going. It's got an icon, it's got text, and it's got color. So we've just been talking about this subject in uh, the Slack is, is, you know, I talk a lot about accessibility, but I don't think very often about uh, the colorblind people. And it makes a big difference. If they can't see color, you better give them another way to tell the difference. As a colorblind person, yes. Oh. <laughs> um, there are, you know, there are backgrounds that if you use them with foregrounds, you've lost me. <laughs> just saying, okay, I believe you. You say there's a title there. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sea of green. I'm red, green, colorblind, so a sea of green. Um, yeah, it's kind of annoying. Okay, so I have been procrastinating for the past couple of months on choosing a testing framework. So what was I thinking about? What was running through my mind? What were my criteria for this long-term commitment? I had five things that were exercising me. So it was vital that whatever test suite I chose had good support for modern JavaScript. We have learned about the joy of classes and how amazing promises are. We're going to write classes and promises. So our test suite had better handle that. Now, today that wasn't an issue. Five years ago, that was an issue. 
and QUnit was very bad at promises. It's it's learned since, but anyway, that was an issue. Thankfully, none of the contenders had any trouble in that regard, so that didn't that didn't act as much of a filter. But it was a requirement. Now, my second requirement was that we needed to be able to use native ES6 modules, right? We we know that before ES6 modules, there was this giant cacophony of different third-party ideas, like CommonJS and UMD and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't go near modules until the official specification got a version of modules, which is the ES6 modules that we learned. So that's what we're going to use. So that's what I need supported in my test app. And believe it or not, that proved to be the problem. That proved to be a gigantic problem. Really? Really. That narrowed the field down to one. Is that because they're so new? Yeah. Oh, okay. That isn't, we are closer to the cutting edge than I like to be, but (laughs) gosh darn it, we do not want to be in the mire that is pre-ES6 modules, module support. That was a mess. We don't want to be there. Okay. The other thing I was very keen on was finding something with a developer-friendly syntax. It should be short, so I want to be able to write it without too much effort, and it should be easy to read and understand so that I can look at the test suite and actually know what it does when I come back to it in six months to add in an extra test because something happened. And that is something that I did not think QUnit was good at. That was why I got so tired of it because writing the tests was very repetitive very verbose and looking back at them later was not as straightforward as it should have been either so i it just it failed on both of those counts for me um i want something that has good documentation and is under active development because the last thing i want to do is throw all of my weight behind a project that's actually dead and that the next time JavaScript gets a new feature I want to use, I'm stuck because my testing framework hasn't been updated. I also don't want to be in the situation where I type into Google, name a framework space, some keyword I'm stuck on, and hit enter, and Google comes back with, hmm. I want Google to come <laughs> back with answers. Frankly, I wanted to go to one of the Stack Overflow sites. Um, you want a lot of people using it. Yeah, exactly. So I want a, I want an active community with plenty of users and plenty of developers and basically a project with a bit of life in it. And uh, the other thing I want is a project that's earned the respect of the developer community because I want, I'm going to put time and effort into learning this. Well, gosh darn it, I want it to be a transferable skill. Right? If I'm going to put work into learning something, I don't want it to be niche. I want it to be something that will actually stand to me. Right, and I'm being right. sense, I mean, a bit selfish here, it's sad to me, but you know something that sounds to everyone in the community who comes along on this journey, right? So we, we want something with transferable skills. We, we want something that's not, that you can put on your CV and the person looking at it goes, oh, you've learned blah, 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 as opposed to looking at it going, here, can you tell me more about this? I've never heard about it. Which may get you five <laughs> yeah. minutes of time on an interview, but it's not a good thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> So the native ES6 module support was an absolute requirement, and that's where the whole thing came off the rails for all the competitors apart from Jest. And so they all had support of a kind, but it was the kind of a bolt-on hack that would make your head explode. So do you remember the bad old days of the browser wars, where if you wrote a bit of JavaScript, you had to basically write it one way for IE and a different oh, way yeah, 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 for Netscape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, back in those days, a very cool project came into being called Babel, which can translate JavaScript from one form to another. So you give it your code and it translates it like a Babel fish, right? That's, that's I, th- I think the word is Babel, like as in Babel. Uh, Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. Okay. In our Bible classes, it was Babel. Same tower, really? though. Interesting. Okay. Well, whether it's Babel or Babel, that tower you think from the Bible. <laughs> right, right. Um, and one of the other uses Babel Babel was put to was dealing with the mess of JavaScript package formats before the official ES6 modules were developed. And so all of the other test suites use Babel to translate your code before running it through the test suite. So the code you're testing is not the code you wrote. It's a translation of the code you wrote. So that means that it can show you errors that you will not find in your source code because it changed the code before running it through the test suite. Oh. And if it's changed, changed the number of lines, it will talk about line six and you will actually need to look at line five. Oh, jeez. And I was just, I am not opening that bag of hurt. I want no. my test suite to test my code, not a translation of my code. That's a level of indirection I want nothing to do with. It's cool tech, and it was great in the bad old days of the browser wars, but I do not want it in my life. And that basically ruled out everything apart from Jest. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So Jest supports all of modern JavaScript. It has native support for ESX modules. I really like its syntax. That is a value judgment, so I'm not giving it a tick in the show notes. Like it's a smiley face. I like it. <laughs> you may or may not agree, but I like it. Okay. I think the documentation is good because so far, every time I've gone to it to find an answer to a question, I have succeeded. Without going outside of the Jest documentation, you mean? Yeah, so I've basically gone and looked up something in the API and found it. Hmm. Now, I have also at times just gone and asked very general questions where it's not like a question about, you know, does what is the second argument? It's sort of like, what's the right approach? And I have also found blog posts and answers in Stack Overflow oh, and stuff. Yeah. So I found answers to the more vague questions on the broader internet because there's a big community. And I have found very specific answers to what does this function do? What arguments does this function expect in the documentation? So it wins on both of those counts. So it gets a thumbs up from me for its documentation. And it gets a thumbs up for not being niche. And frankly, it was written by Facebook. And it's still used by Facebook. Oh, wow. And it's also used by Twitter, the New York Times and Airbnb. Hmm. So not niche. Right. That's a lot of developers. It's a lot of developers, a lot of people with a lot of dollar signs, depending on this being robust. So if there's a bug in it, they are well motivated to fix it and well resourced. Yeah. Are we uh, in danger of having to say nice things about uh, Meta? I can say that their engineers who write their open source software seem to be good at their job. Okay. Now I actually we, we could probably say Meta, by the way, instead of Facebook. That is true, but if you look at all of their videos and stuff, they all have Facebook logos behind them. So I guess they haven't updated yeah, their videos that, in the month. Yeah, that's just before they they went by the name Meta. But I mean, it could be Facebook. But it well, could it is be Facebook, Meta right? It, it is the web interface that is Facebook is where this originated from. Right. 
So it is still correct to say Facebook, but of course the people writing the checks are now are now called Meta. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I live in Ireland, Silicon Valley, so I actually know human beings in the flesh who I am friends with who work for Facebook and oh. who are amazingly good software engineers, by the way. Yeah. Very good software engineers. So, hi, Carl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why, that's why Jest. Wait, wait, let me give you one more metric on how widely used. Uh, Ooh. 50 million downloads in the last month. Months. Used on 3.898 million public repos on GitHub. Okay. Yeah, that's a Not niche. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't, know what, I don't know what my definition of niche is, but that ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. All so right. I said we have native support for ES6 modules. And that is true. But it is native and nascent. Officially, it is classed as experimental. Now, it works, but it's closer to the cutting edge than I enjoy being in this series. But I'm afraid to say, you know, experimental is better than doesn't exist. So that's what we're going to have to make do with. And it does work. But as, <laughs> as I was reading the docs, I could hear your voice in my head. And it said, everything is fiddly. <laughs> now, I have done the fiddling. So I can tell you the path to success. I fumbled about a bit in the dark to find that path in such a way that it works for us because there are some choices and I've made all those choices by getting it wrong. Um, So I have a path and as long as you stay on the path, it's not a treacherous path, it's just a narrow path. It's a very well-paved path, but if you step off, you fall down a cliff. So don't step off. So there are four things you have to remember, right? We are, you have to use Jest within a Node.js project folder. In other words, a folder with a package.json file, which is fine because that's how This we is were. to get the ES6 module support that we're talking about. Exactly. I mean, okay. if you're prepared to use Jest in other ways, it's very flexible. But for our purposes, it is always going to be used within a Node project, which is fine because that's what we were going to do anyway. Uh, we, inst- we have to install jest into that node project using npm install minus minus save minus dev jest so we basically we need to make sure that jest is in that local folder then we have to do our configuration of that node project in such a way that node knows that it's to live in es6 land and the magic incantation to tell node this is to add into your package.json type colon module and that is that is just how the people who wrote Node.js thought to phrase the word use ES6 packages. I would have had something like enable ES6 colon true, but fine. They went with type colon module, whatever. It's a magic incantation. It works. And the last thing is that we define our test script. So in other words, we define the executable inside our package.json so that it invokes Node.js with a special environment variable called node underscore options that we have to give a special value. So I'm going to show you all of this. It's actually harder to say than to show. Um, Okay. And it's a copy-paste job, which is the other thing. So it's not going to be difficult. It's just we have to remember to do the the four copy-pastes, basically. So I am going to do the rest of this installment as a worked example. And my input is the joiner module from the last installment, i.e. installment 134. 
which is a module that exports one single function that we can use to join arrays of strings into human-friendly single strings that have, you know, a conjunction on the end. So something, comma, something, comma, and something. Or something, comma, something, or something, or something, comma, something, ampersand something. Um, and so the code, before I do any jesting, is sitting in the zip file for the installment as pbs135a-joiner-before. And it's a very realistic example because it has ESLint and JSDoc fully configured as if it was real code. It's a very simple module, but it has its full structure. So it's a realistic project. And then I'm into do this. that thing I do every single time uh, because when we're recording, the downloadable zip doesn't exist to the audience. So you don't have this problem, but Allison has to ask, ask Bart, where is the the so download file? The folder called Installment Resources has a subfolder called PBS135. And in there you will find the folder I'm talking about, which you should copy so that you gotcha. gotcha. stop yep. over it. All right, thank you. And then if you'd like to play along, then you first thing you have to do is open a terminal and do an npm ci to get ESLint and everything installed. And then you're ready to play along. And I'm going to give the... In one of those two folders? So in the the A before folder. And any listener who doesn't want to bother their backside following along, the B folder is the after. So that is actually what you're going to get. Your A folder will become your B folder if you follow along, or you can just jump straight to the B folder to see it all finished. Does that make sense? Yes. So if we start by just looking at our package.json, it's basically I did an npm init and answered all its questions. So it has a name, pbs135a joiner. It has a version number, 1.0.0. It has a description. And it has the script for JSDoc that we described in great detail when we did JSDoc. So I literally copied and pasted that from the relevant installment. And then it has the default test script, which is just echo, error, no test specified, ampersand, ampersand, exit one. So that's what... We had that before, right? Yeah, that's what NPM and it gives you as a test suite, as a sort of a wrap on the knuckles. It's like, oh, you didn't tell me what test suite to use. Well, how dare you use none? Let me be snarky at you. Okay. So that that came along for free. I gave it some keywords. I gave it an author. I gave it a license. And then we have the dev dependencies that we need for ESLint and JSDoc, which is docdash is our theme. ESLint is ESLint. And my base config that I like is the Google one for ESLint. So hence we have ESLint-config-google. So there are four dev dependencies before we start. So the first thing to do is to tell this project it now needs to do jest as well. <clears throat> so npm install minus minus save minus dev jest will install jest. Okay. And if you look inside your package.json after doing that, you'll see the dev dependencies have a new line, which is specifying jest. Now, <clears throat> you could write jest's configuration in an entirely separate file and then reference that file in your test command. Or you could define your Jest stuff straight in package.json. Which is I have no idea what any of that means. Okay, so for JSDoc, we have a whole separate config file called jsdoc.conf.json. You'll see it sitting in the project. Uh, 
say again what it is? So when we did JS Doc, we wrote a config for how JS Docs work called jsdoc.conf.json. Okay. When Helma taught you ESLint, she said to write a config for ESLint, which is a separate file called... ESLintRC.json. There we go. Dot .ESLint, right? Right. So you could, if you wanted, do jest in the same way, but you don't have to. You can do the tiny little bit of configuration that's needed right inside package.json by just adding a new section to package.json called jest and putting your config straight into packages.json. Okay, what is this going to do, though? It's going to tell jest what you want. So just like we had to... What do I want? Well, we haven't got to that yet. Okay, so okay. you have to. Conf- so I don't know what this is for. I'm, I'm, I know I can type these words you said, but I don't know what it's doing. Configuring Jest. So we had to configure ESLint to make it do things. We had to configure JS Doc. We have to configure, like when you install an app, okay. it has a config file, right? Okay. So we will talk about the content of the config in a moment, but in the abstract, Jest has some configuration settings. Okay. And All right. rather than putting them in a separate file, we're going to put them straight into package.json because it's easier. Okay, does it matter whether we put this at the top or the bottom? It does not, uh, because a JSON file is just a dictionary, right? Right. Um, the only thing that matters is, is the top-level key with the name jest. Because that's what Jest will go looking for. Jest will basically say, is there something in your package.json called Jest? If there is, I'm going to assume you're talking to me. And I will do whatever it says in the Jest okay. section. So we could put this this thing... Well, I don't know what these words mean that we're going to put into the package.json, but we could put it after the dev dependencies, for example. Absolutely. Okay. And what we're going to say is... So we're going to give it two configuration settings, which is the absolute bare minimum to get this show off the road. The first one is we're telling it that we are writing code intended to run inside Node.js. And the way you do that is by saying test environment colon jest-environment-node. It's a Mm copy-paste job. Okay. The other thing we are doing is we are saying transform and then giving it an empty dictionary. What that is doing is it is explicitly saying, do not apply any transformations to my code. In other words, Babel be bye-bye. That is the off switch for Babel. That is transform nothing. This is where I really wish Jason had comments. Yeah. Because by the time we hang up uh, this call, I'll be going, what is transform nothing? What does that mean? Yeah. Now, I can say it's a copy-paste job. It is not going to change. But it's not magic. It is two sensible things to tell Jest. And that is all we have to tell it. All the rest, the defaults are fine. Okay. Now, remember I said we have to say type colon module, so that has to go into your config.json, sure, your package.json, anywhere, as long as it's at the top level, just type colon module. Okay. And then we have to add a real test script, so we have to replace that snarky you don't have any tests defined with the actual command to run jest. So you'll see the section called scripts, which contains docs, which is our JS doc command, 
And then it has test, which currently says, uh, whatever that default was, uh, echo, error, no test specified, ampersand, ampersand, exit one. You look confused. Yeah, I'm trying to keep up and I'm not being able to do this and and read at the same time. Um, So where did this is the script that. Sorry, just just say it again. I I didn't hear any of it. So remember that when we were doing JS doc, we put the terminal command to run JS doc as a script inside our package.json file. Well, we now need another one to run jest. Oh, okay. So this whole docs, doctor, that's all the stuff that we did last time. I was yes. reading that like, it looks familiar, but we're doing it again. Okay. But you're just saying right where those scripts are. And in, this is in, so we're still in package.json. We're still in package.json. We're in the dictionary inside package.json called scripts. And we want to define the command test, which by default has this dummy value called echo error, no okay. test specified, blah, blah, blah. We'll Got replace yeah. that with a non-snarky actual command to run jest. Okay. And the command is node underscore options equals minus minus experimental minus VM minus modules space NPX space jest, which is a mild mouthful. But what it means is set this special environment variable that tells node.js that we want to do ES6 modules and then run the command NPX jest. Hmm. Okay. And we don't have to tell Jest anything else because it will discover everything else it needs to know all by itself. Okay, good. It's very, it's, it's, it's very So you're, you're cooking the two things together. You're getting, you're getting Node.js to know that we were, we're going to be using Jest? Um, well, NPM specifically. So we're going to say NPM space run space test in the same way that we said NPM space run space docs. Okay, so you're telling NPM... We're going to use Jess with with node modules. Correct. Okay, that's the hook. Okay, got it. Yeah. So if we then, so once that's saved, the way we run our test suite is npm space run space test. But right now that will just fail in a giant big heap because what Jest is going to do is it's going to look for tests, discover we have defined zero tests and get cranky at you. It's like, well, and not, if, not in a good cranky way. Not a, you failed your these just tests. It's like, you failed the first test. There are no tests. <laughs> I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Yep. Okay. Yeah, make it jump a little higher, please. Anyway, after all is said and done, your final JSON config, your pa- final package.json should look like the example in the show notes. And the only things we've added were the jest section, the new test definition, and that um, type colon module which isn't too bad. So let's define some tests. Otherwise, Jest will be stay cranky at us. Okay. So Jest finds your config and your test suite automatically. Well, it's not magic. It has an algorithm. And one of the things in its algorithm is check for my config inside package.json. So that's why we named that section Jest and put the, the values in there because Jest goes looking there. So, hey, presto, that's why we don't have to give it any sort of command line arguments. It just knows, oh, go look there. The second thing it does automatically is it goes and looks for tests and it uses a very gnarly regular expression. I am the world's biggest lover of regular expressions and I consider it a very gnarly regular expression. So I will tell you that from our point of view, what matters is every file that is star.test.js 
will be treated as a jest test suite. Okay. So all we have to and, do is And you're name, saying, but as your gift to us is you're not telling us the regular expression. Yeah, I mean, it has a default value. If you'd like, you could write your own regular expression instead. I No, that's fine. That's I briefly fine. went down that rabbit hole and then realized that I was reinventing a wheel that I had no right to go anywhere near uh, and decided to just, how's about we do the way Jess wants it? Why, are we, why am I swimming upstream? Why am I having an opinion about something I only half understand? So I decided to do what Jess wanted. And it went much smoother after that decision. Funny that. So we're going to define our tests in a file called joiner.test.js inside the source folder, which is right next to the file that actually contains our code, which is joiner.mjs inside the source folder. Um, sorry? So there's a I folder called src any... in... Ah, okay. And in that and folder... .mjs. Yeah, so that's the code. So that's the that's the module. Right. And our test suite is going to sit right next to it. Oh, it's going to sit right next to it. It does yeah. not yet. Okay. Well, if you look ahead to the B, which has the, fin- no. the finished answer, then you'll find it sitting there. But no, you're, you're, you're playing along. I'm trying to follow along. Okay. Um, so you're going to make a new file called joiner.test.js. And that's the generally recommended naming scheme. You have something.mjs. Well, then it's test suite. And remember, with unit testing, your test suite should mirror your code structure. So if you have a module called joiner.mjs, well, then you should have a test suite called joiner.test.js in which you contain the matching tests. So in this case, we have one file, so we have one test suite, but in a massive big project, we might have many files, and then we would have many test suites sitting next to each file. Okay, so all we need is an empty file called joiner.test.js. Yeah, and that will then, that is a signal to Jess that, oh, that's one for me. So the very first thing we have to do inside our now empty test suite is actually load the code we want to test. So import joiner from dot slash joiner.mjs. I don't see that in the show notes. It's right underneath. It's the third paragraph under defining some tests. The the first code block under Ah, defining some tests. I'd scroll too far. Great. Okay. So, so that I'm goes at the go top import. of your test suite. And at this point, okay. you're ready to go. Now, I'm going to say, put down your pens for a minute and give me your undivided attention, as my lecturers used to say. Oh, nowadays, I think they would say, close your laptop or put your phone away. <laughs> but in our days, it was put down your pen. So inside, this, okay. So no, Jest works by asking you to define a bunch of tests, which it will then run. So the code you're writing isn't running tests, it's defining tests. So the code you write isn't to be run now, you're writing functions that will be run for you later. Which is a subtle difference, but I just think it's important to highlight. Your code isn't running the test, it's defining the tests which Jest will run. But we have to actually write functions? Yeah. Ugh. We're going to write that them. That sounds horrible. I'm, I'm over here writing a function. Now I got to go write a function to write to, to test the function I'm writing? Well, you're going to be using arrow functions more than functions. So it's going to be nice and short. Gentle- <laughs> short isn't the problem. It's thinking them up. I gotta, you don't have oh, much thinking okay. to do. It, it's very well mm-hmm. laid out. So you define a new test by calling... So Jest injects a bunch of functions into your test suite. So Jest... Put stuff in the global scope for you to use. Because remember, your test.js file is not being run by you, it's being run by Jest. So Jest has okay. the power to add stuff before your code. 
And it so will, this file, joiner.test.js, is going to magically end up with code sitting in it that I did not write. Effectively, you can assume the existence of variables you didn't define, <laughs> right? But they're not going to magically appear in the file. It's just that the file okay. is going to be loaded after a bunch of other stuff. Okay. So Jess is going to start up and then open your file. So at the okay. point when it opens your file, it already has a bunch of stuff to find. So there exists for you to use, free of charge, a function named test. And that is the function to define a test. So again, their naming convention is quite good. I would like to okay. make a new test. You call the function test. The function test would like two arguments from you. The first one is a string, and it is the label you're going to give your test. So in the output with the hopefully green checkboxes, that's the name your test is going to have. Okay. After that, it expects to be handed a function as the second argument. In reality, that is almost always done as an arrow function, so it's nice and short. So a string followed by an arrow function. And inside the arrow function, you write the code to do your actual testing. And the key to doing your actual testing is a collection of what Jest calls matchers. And they implement sort of logic, I guess, is the best way to say it. They implement statements. They're written in very English ways. Um, and the name of the function you use to invoke a matcher is expect, hmm. which is why you get this very English I like syntax. That. I expect this to happen. Exactly. And so nice. expect, and then you pass it an argument of whatever it is you, the value to be tested, and then you follow it with the matcher, which is going to be something like dot to be, or dot to throw, or dot not dot to be. And hmm. they're all English, and they all sound like that. So oh, that's nice. The first thing I would say to everyone is, just have a really good short intro called using matchers in their documentation. I didn't want to just copy it. Yeah, basically, I would like you to go read that because they're better at it than me. Um, so I would say everyone should read it and it will give you, you know, the way 80% of the time you only need 10% of the functionality. Just mm -hmm. reading that will give you most of what you want most of the time. Like dot to be is kind of, expect dot to be is kind of the most important thing. And okay, so I'm just, I'm just going to read off the headings on this. Uh, it's a large scroll bar. So I'd like to see that. Maybe like five scrolls down here. Common matchers, truthiness, numbers, strings, arrays and iterables, exceptions, and more. Yeah, and there's a lot so more. There's a link in okay. the show notes to every single uh, matcher that exists, which is in the documentation for the expect function. That has a really small scroll bar. This okay, is so quite we'll stay feature. on this page. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, but that's kind of your homework because we're going to use just three matchers in our example today. Um, so the first one is to be, because that is frankly the single most important one. Most of your tests involve checking if something is equal to something else. I expect that when I call this function with these arguments, the answer should be this. Expect something dot to be something. So the first thing I'm going to do is at this stage, actually, to be honest, what's in the show notes now is slightly truncated. So you may need to go to this to the B version to actually have a look at the code. Okay. Um, so the first test we're going to look at is the test for hang on, checking. Hang on, hang okay. on. There's no test file parallel to SRC in the B. Mm. Shouldn't there be? There sh absolutely should be. 
That's where I, wrote I see js.conf.json, package dash lock, package.json, readme, and src. Yes, it's inside the source folder. You said it was supposed to be parallel to the source folder. No, no, parallel Did to I the hear file. hear it backwards? Yeah, parallel ah. to the code file. So you should see the two files okay. right next to each other. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So the first thing we're going to do as, as, as to look at is the simple test. All right, the whole point of this little dumb API is to take an array of strings and join them together like a human. So the very first thing I want to test is if I give it the, the, the array A, B, C as three strings, do I get back the string A, B, and C? Right, that is the simple, the simple, the single simplest thing that API does is join an array of strings with an ampersand. Okay. So that's my first test. Just does it do its default functionality as expected? And so the test for that, I just named my test default join. And the only thing inside the arrow function is a call to expect. So expect joiner.join abc to be the string a comma b and c. Okay. So we expect something dot to be something. Well, that doesn't look too bad. Doesn't look too bad. So that's basically the structure of these things. Expect, the first argument is, you know, what are we testing dot to be? What do we want? So we expect this function call to produce that string. And, you know, the next most common thing to want to do, if you're a person who believes in data validation, is to check that something that's supposed to throw an error does. So expect dot to throw is how you do one of those. So you will see down at the bottom of that same test, the last expect says expect an arrow function dot to throw type error. So the subtlety here is that you have to hand it a function that should throw the error, and then you tell it what error it should have thrown. So we expect joiner.join pancakes, which is not an array, to throw a type error. So inside the arrow function is the code that's supposed to throw an error, and then inside the dot to throw is the error we really wanted to see. So not just was there an error, was it a type error like it was supposed to be? So I'm I'm frowning. You are, um, I see. Yeah. So when when you were just looking at if I want to join a b a comma mm -hmm. b comma c, does it turn into a b and c? It says expect parentheses joiner double parentheses dot join, mm -hmm. and then the rest of what I'm talking about. But when you got down to invalid data, it says expect parentheses a pair of parentheses arrow function. I think it's a squiggle joiner parentheses dot join what is why do you have an arrow function right in the middle of that okay so imagine i took out the arrow function what would happen when the when i try when when jest tried to load that test it would run joiner dot join throw an error and crash i don't know that <laughs> how would i know that well it's supposed to throw an error the whole point is that code is supposed to throw an error so if we put that code in directly it will throw the error if we pass it an arrow function to call the code, it will not throw the error until Jest detonates the function, executes Okay, the function. You, are, you are not speaking to anything I have any knowledge of. Okay, if I give you I'm a function... I'm not saying you didn't teach me, but okay. I don't know this. If I give you a function that prints boogers... No, pancakes, sorry. If I give you a function... If I give you a function that prints pancakes, nothing will happen until you call the function I gave you. 
If I just say print pancakes, the pancakes will get splatted out straight away. An arrow function that contains the line joiner.joinPancakes doesn't run immediately. It will run when jest runs it. Why, why only on this one do you have to do that? Because, okay, so the first one... I th- I th- you said earlier that jest doesn't, when you write these tests, jest is not going to run them until you run the test. Okay, so So the argument to the expect function above is a string. We are making a string and checking it's equal to another string. So we need to make the string straight away. Here, we're telling it what it should run to make an error. Sounds like the exact same kind of thing to me. They don't sound like two different things. Okay, take, after we're done recording, take the arrow function out and watch it explode. And then you'll see why it explodes. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Remove and the two parentheses, the equal sign, the angle bracket, and the two squarelies, and then you've taken out the arrow function. Okay. And then it will I, look... I hope maybe at the end of this, I'm going to know how to run the test and see what, it, what a yes. breakage looks like. But I believe you that it's going to break. I just don't understand the syntax at all. That you tell... You're... We are defining a function that will run some code that we, that we say has to throw an error. If I say okay. to you, check later if this blows up, and I detonate it immediately, you can't check later. I've already blown it up. I have okay. to... Conceptually, that makes sense to me. I, I, I follow you conceptually, but I... That is the, fun- that is the, the function? Ooh, that was a terrible, terrible choice of words. <laughs> that is the purpose of the arrow function, is to wrap the code so that it is available to be run later. You're wrapping it up and saying, this thing here, when you run this function I'm giving you, it will explode. Put it in the sandbox. Okay. Okay. I, I, I've got a bare thread of what you're saying, and I think we should move on. Okay. Uh, and then the last matcher... I want to talk about is to be instance of, which is how you can check that something is the type of thing you want it to be. So our module is supposed to export a function. Well, actually, that's a pretty fundamental thing to check. Is the thing exported actually a function? And the way you do that is by saying expect joiner dot to be instance of function. Hmm. And it can do that. Yeah. So what if you, so if your module were to export is it an instance of if it just calls it function function with a capital f is the so every function is an instance of the class function with a okay. capital f okay, okay. <laughs> just like okay. every array is an instance of array with a capital a okay so you're you're just saying what i'm going to get from this module better be a function yes i expect Joiner to be a function, because that's what my documentation said. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I get this one. Yeah. So here is the full test suite. It's not a very long test suite. So the first thing I do is I check that my module passes the most basic test. I thought joiner was going to be a function. Is it? Then I check that my default behavior works, right? So does joiner.joinABC give me the string A, B, and C? If I give it an empty string, that's an edge case. I should get if I give it an empty array, I should get an empty string. Do I? Mm-hmm. If I give it one, if I get a string with one word in it, with one, 
oh, if I give it an array <laughs> with one string, I should just get that string back, right? If I give mm-hmm. you a list of pancakes, the answer is pancakes. Mm-hmm. So that's an edge case. The other edge case is if there's only two things, then there should be no commas. It should only be the fancy conjunction on the end. So if I give you A and B, I should get back the string A ampersand B. So that's an edge case. And then the last thing is if I give you not an array, I want you to throw a type error. So if I give you sensible stuff, do you behave? If I give you all three edge cases I can think of, do you still behave? And if I give you garbage, do you do what you're supposed to do, which is get cranky? So you could have also added in here if you gave it some numbers? Sure, I could have. if you gave it some booleans? Yes, I could have. Now, the way the module is documented is it will, it will do its... But if you don't give it an array, it, if you give it... Blah. No, you're right, actually. Sorry, if you give it anything but an array, it would have thrown an error. So yes, absolutely, you could write another test in but, there for boolean. But you could have an array that had true... But if you put an array of true comma false... If you put an array of true comma false, it will not throw an error because the function will just convert them. It will pa- into, The documentation into says it will cast it to a string. So okay. it will just become... Well, but I could test for that. You could test. You, I fact, could add that. To be honest, <laughs> if we were doing this for reals, and I I don't really want to overload... No, I, I no, was, no, no. I wanted this to be realistic, but not too realistic. <laughs> I'm just proud of myself that I actually thought of something something stupid people would do. Because, you know, that's good my blind that. spot is I say, well, they'll probably give me a number or they'll type in a letter and that's wrong. Boom. Done testing. <laughs> I, I just don't think of the things people would do, but I thought of something, so I was excited. It's kind of ironic because when it comes to being the person using someone else's code, you are the master <laughs> of finding bugs. Yeah, I, I definitely poke every corner. Yeah, interesting. Then the next thing I test is my modifiers, right? So my code was written so that I could take joiner.ampersand.join. So does that produce the expected output? Does the uh, and modifier give A, B, and C? Does the or modifier give me A, B, or C? Does the single quoting function work? Does the double quoting function work? And finally, does Hmm. the sort function work? And that's a reasonable first pass at a test suite. So assuming you have that file saved safely in your Mm -hmm. folder, we are now ready to make it go. Okay. And you make it go by typing npm space run space test. And a whole bunch of stuff will scroll by because it'll tell you everything it's doing. But at the bottom of all the output is the only bit I ever read, which is the final score. It's like getting an exam. You just want the bit at the bottom that tallies up your marks. Oh, let me tell you something fun. If you forgot to enter, uh, to install Jest within your folder and you try to run npm run test. Oh, it doesn't work? No, it tells you. Can I, can I install Jest for you? Oh, because npx is clever. Yeah. Well, that's nice of it. Yeah, so I didn't initialize this folder. So NPMCI, Did I need to do that? Yes, an npmci definitely is needed. Okay. Oh, that was, I think that Wait, was... dash ci? No, NPM... spell npm right. Yeah, it's just it's all these requirements and NMP didn't work. Okay. And then all depending right. on whether or not you did an NPM install jest minus minus. I did dev. now. Because okay. it did it for me. Okay. Okay, so now you should be able to run your test, assuming the file is sitting in the right place. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, you should see the results for src forward slash joiner.test.js, which should say pass. And then it should list all of our names for our tests with a little green check mark 
and then brackets how many milliseconds it took to run these tests, because frankly, this is very simplistic code. But in the real world, these might not be one millisecond, two millisecond. This might actually be something of value. You may realize that some of your tests are too complex because it takes 20 seconds to run. Um, But, you know, it tells you what I ran, what it passed. And in theory, there could be more than one test suite, right? So if you have 10 JavaScript files, you're going to have 10 test suites. So then the bottom summary starts to make sense because now it just says test suites, one passed, comma, one total. Tests, eight passed, comma, eight total. So, okay, great. Run all test suites. Good for us. And we did it all in a second. Yeah. So, unfortunately, this was all... uh this all worked properly, and I'm I've got a homebrew theme to my terminal window, so everything's always green. But oh. some of that would have not been green. Well, the only thing that would have been green is the word pass and the tick boxes. Oh, okay. Okay. And what will happen is the word pass will be red if it's not the word pass, but in fact the word fail. Um, mm-hmm. And every test that fails, instead of having a green tick emoji, will have a red X emoji. Okay. And when it fails, it will show you your test suite with an arrow pointing at the line in the test suite. And it will show you the lines before and after, which is very polite of it. Because it really helps you put something into context when you don't just see one line of code when it shows you a few lines of code. So you can make it fail, if you'd like, by picking any test and changing the to be value to something else, right? So if you pick oh, okay. if you pick the first dot to be and just make it a different string, then it should fail. Right, 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 right. And then you can see what it does, which is, you know, nice and red. Okay, I just opened another terminal window so I could uh, see it. Giant green pass in a box and happy green little check marks. <laughs> it made me very happy. Yeah. It's it's not very exciting if you have a homebrew theme though. Oh, well. Yeah, and my terminal was very pretty. Um, oh, actually, and the 8 past is also in green. There's bold and stuff yes. you probably can see. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the 1 past for test suites and the test 8 past are both uh, bold and green. Perfect, yeah. So they're, yeah, cool. Okay, um, well, we have scratched the surface here. But... I hope I have at least shown you that the syntax is designed to read like English. Expect something dot to be something is a heck of a lot more Englishy than anything we ever saw over in QUnit land. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the feeling that once I get the hang of the syntax, this is this is actually pretty easy for all my whining. That that has been my experience thus far. Okay. Um, and I expect that to continue. And I'm going to show you some of the cooler features next time. And then you're going to, I hope, fall even more in love with it. Because one of the things that drove me nuts about uh, QUnit was how difficult it was. Like In this case, you were saying, well, what happens if I pass it five different, if five things should return an error? Do I really need five expect statements? No, you don't. Hmm. There's a really nice syntax for batching your tests together. And so that's one of the things we're definitely going to be looking at next time. And the other thing I mentioned is that you want the structure of your tests to match the structure of your code so you can have groups of tests. Well, I haven't showed you how to group your tests. So that's the other, that's the next obvious thing I have to teach you. So we have some more to learn next time, but it's it's really quite developer friendly. It's it's a 
it's a nice tool. I am I am enjoying learning it. Which is, That's good. Which always a good start. I just did what you suggested. I made it fail so I could see what it looked like. So does the red come through in your in your uh, uh, homebrew? In, oh, actually, um, let's see. Ah, well, let me fix, wreck it again. I I had reverted it. Uh, let's see what it looks like. Yeah, it does come through red. So, so it's slightly, it's quite a bit more exciting. Cool. Now, when you said it would show you the line where the failure was and line on either side, I thought it was going to show me where it failed in my code. It's, it shows me the test that failed. Yes. And what the test said. That's not quite what I was expecting, but okay. Well, I mean... I think there's only says everything you can do, right? And the particularly important thing is it shows you what you told it to expect and what it actually got, which is actually how you're going to figure out whether your test is wrong. Mm, yeah, you better start there. Yeah, because that is also possible, right? Remember, the test is written by humans, so the test could be garbage too. And so sometimes <laughs> what happens is that the expected value is like, oh, no, you shouldn't have expected that. The function was right and I gave you the wrong expectation. I'll fix my test. Mm-hmm. And then it'll go right. green and you'll be happy. Okay, well, that's all I got in uh, this batch of show notes. Um, so uh, well, I, I think this is going to be good. I hope I can uh, get into it. And, well, as uh, I said, this I, was... I think a, reading that page, that using matchers page is probably going to be really helpful. I find that very helpful, uh, which is why... I mean, I don't think I've very often said, go read the manual in the show notes. But honestly, I've got so much out of that page, I, I just think... I think I should encourage everyone to do the same. <laughs> and practice will most certainly make perfect. And the one thing with a test suite is it, you're going to get a lot of practice because there's going to be as much tests as there is code. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, uh, until next time, remember, folks, happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.